All right. Well, welcome everyone in the congregation and those who are popping on live Facebook. Are we on? Well, he's not. Oh, okay, it's me. I'm blaming him back there, and it's me, right? I have too many things to do before I get up here, right? I got to get the chart. I got to put two mics on. Got to turn off the keyboard. <laughs> too many jobs, right? Oh, boy. All right. Well, we're going to continue tonight on Matthew chapter 24. Now, I don't know if I'm going to finish this up because I'm not going to do every verse in the chapter. You can read it and glean for yourself. How many know that you have spirit in you that will reveal these truths just as well as revealing them to me? So I'm not sure. We may continue this one more week and finish off the chapter, but there are several verses that I want to look at tonight as we continue here, as I said in Matthew chapter 24. And let me just back up and just reiterate a tad bit from last week as we got into this particular chapter that most people interpret literally. Now, I, I put a Facebook post on a couple of days. Maybe it was just yesterday. I think it might have just been yesterday. And it caused quite a, a, a bit of a firestorm. And, uh, but it, it's been good. I mean, there's been uh, more people that uh, have a hard time seeing that we cannot stop just with historicity, but that we need to see the allegorical aspect. Because listen, if we don't see the allegorical aspect and we stop with a little history story, then it's not going to be applicable to us. Right. You've got to see it allegorically in order for it to happen within you and I. Now, am I saying that there wasn't a literal Adam and Eve and, and Joseph and Jay? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that unless we'll move from those stories into the parabolic and the allegoric and the symbolic and the mystical, call it what you will, we will never really experience to the full degree these things taking place within us. So the very purpose of moving out of the history story of these things and coming into the spiritual reality is that we can realize that those same things are happening within us in an allegorical sense. Now, we started in Matthew 24, there at the beginning, and I shared with you how, yes, this chapter primarily was given to Israel, to those that had been under the law. We were not given the law. We were not under the law. Yes, we invited ourselves, and we partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we were you know, partaking of the same thing to a large degree that they were, bondage and legalism and so forth. But it was really written, Matthew 24 primarily was written to these Jewish people. It talks about this generation not passing away until something take place. But it was written for us. Now, the fact that it was written to them is literal. But the fact and the reality that it was written for us tells us we need to look at it allegorically and parabolically and spiritually and so forth. So we began and we talked in verse 7 of Matthew 24 about the famines. And I shared with you how that, yes, there was a famine for literal food at that time. I'm sure that there was. But to us, for us, if it's written to them and for us, for us, what would the famines represent? They would represent, as we found out in Amos, that was next to Andy, we found out, and no one got that, but we found out, we found out that it was the famine for the hearing of the word of God. And then we talked about the pestilence. And, you know, pestilence are things that just bug the heck out of you. 
They're thoughts from the left side that just get under your skin. The pesty, pesky little thoughts that you have that may not seem on the surface level so bad, but it's just focusing on what you see in the appearance realm round about you. It's just going with the feeling of what you're feeling. And so we talked about that. We talked also about the earthquakes, and I shared with you how the earthquakes then, for us now, to them it was literal earthquakes, but for us, what were the earthquakes? The shakedown. The shaking down and shaking loose of all of those left-sided thoughts. And then we talked about the beginning of sorrows. Now, the beginning of sorrows to them was what was going on there in a literal historical sense. But for us, the beginning of sorrows is what? Well, we went to 2 Peter chapter, what was it, chapter 3 and verse 10, where it talks about the old heavens passing away <clears throat> with a fervent heat, <clears throat> excuse me, and a loud noise. And the word elements there is stoichion in the Greek, and it means the first principles. And I could tag that with Hebrews chapter 6, where the writer of Hebrews says, now it's time for you to leave the basic principles of the doctrines of Christ. And he lists about six or seven there. He said, leave those and go into perfection or into the realization of your oneness or into the realization that you were always perfect and you were always complete. You came here that way. And then we looked at verse 9 where it says, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. And I shared with you that the they are the thoughts. It's the left-sided thoughts that bother us. And when truth begins to come and be revealed to us, those left-sided thoughts begin to bother us more than they've ever bothered us before, right? And then we talked about, as we went on down in this chapter, it talks about the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Son of Man is how it words it. And it talks about the false prophets in verse 11 that deceive many by telling them or giving them a false narrative of the coming of the Son of Man or the coming of the Lord. You know, and it says there that they'll say, oh, lo, he's over here, or lo, he's over there. But see, the coming, you can't pinpoint the coming into one geographical location, as the false prophets have for millennia, for many, many years. You can't pinpoint it to over here, over there, up there, down there. It is within us. The coming of the Lord is not with observation, but the coming of the Lord is within us. And then in verse 12, it states that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, iniquity, this is what I came up with, iniquity. Iniquity means self-will. Now, that's what it says in the Strong's, but I added a little bit to that, if that's okay. Because isn't self-will not turning within? It's doing your own thing, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, right? That's self-will. Not turning within and allowing the will of the Father to be worked out in our lives. So the fact that iniquity shall abound and the love of many as a result of that iniquity shall wax cold, to me that would be, it would include a number of things, but it would include religiosity and, and literalism. It would include that. I can't think of anything that would cause people to come to the place to where they almost get tired of what they call the Bible if you're just going to focus on little Bible stories. And it doesn't relate to them whatsoever. There's no life flowing in that. And Paul said that the letter kills, the spirit gives life. And over and over he said, don't get stuck and hung up in the literalism, in the letter of the word. But you must move into the allegorical. You must move into the spiritual aspect of the word. 
And then in verse 13, it says that he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And I shared with you how to endure is to continue to do what Jesus told us to do. See, it's not about where it says the same shall be saved. It's not about enduring and you'll get saved. No, it's enduring or doing what Jesus said to do so you can experience the salvation that you came here with. That's a whole different gospel, a whole different way of looking at the gospel and looking at salvation. Then in verse 14 it says, When the gospel of the kingdom is preached in all the world, then shall the end come. There's another end. Now, if it was given, if Matthew 24 was given to them, their end was when Titus and the Roman soldiers came in and destroyed Jerusalem, plundered the city, and destroyed the temple and all of the artifacts and all of the stuff, the utensils and everything they used in the sacrificial system. So that would be the end to them. But if we're going to see this allegorical, what is our end? Well, I gave you two ends last week, if you remember. You know, because so many people believe, you know, there's going to be a nuclear holocaust and this world is going to, the earth is going to blow up to smithereens. It'll never happen because there's too many scriptures that tell us that the earth abides forever. And the earth was given to the sons of men. We're here to change that. Not wait for a man to split in the eastern sky, come back on a white horse over Kennedy Airport dodging 747s. No, it's us changing this world. And how are we going to do that? It's not even so much changing, it's waking them up. It's waking them up. We're waking them up. So the end to us, I gave you that on two levels. One was the end of one age as far as the constellations are concerned. And I know Christians have a hard time with that. But, you know, Job said that the constellations or the stars are influencers. Now, I gave you last week, but let me give you this again. The stars, Genesis 1:14, are given for seasons. So I don't care how much you say you don't believe in February, February is going to come. I don't care how much you say I don't believe in December because our church doesn't preach December. You're going to get pneumonia if you dress in December like you dress in August. So the stars are influencers. They influence. They bring the different seasons and so forth. And even on a spiritual level, we've left Pisces coming to the age of Aquarius, which is enlightenment. People are being enlightened all over this world. Listen, even those who are not even naming the name of Christ, there's enlightenment coming in the medical field, in the social field, in the economic field. Enlightenment is coming all over the place. People are wising up. People are getting smarter. Now think, if we are, and we are, in that age of enlightenment, how much is going to take place when a people will take that and not trash that and ditch that, but will turn within along with that. Because that's what Jesus said in Matthew 22. He said, if you, or Luke 22, when you see the man carrying the water pitcher, well, men didn't carry water pitchers in those days. Only the women did. But he said, when you see the man, he's talking about the constellations, carrying the water pitcher, he said, then go to the upper room, turn within, or in other words, go to the upper room, which is simply begin to live from the inside out. That's what he's talking about. Now, remember I told you there was another end, as we read here in Matthew 24, for us, and the other end was the end of suffering. It's the end of experiencing the contradiction. Now, every one of us still have contradictions in our life. We have certain areas in our life, whether it be physical, whether it be you know, financial, whether it be mental, whatever it is, we still have some things in our life that, according to appearances, look like a contradiction because we're whole, we're complete. 
we're in his fullness. So there are certain things yet either in our body, either in our finances or, or relationships or some place in our life that we're not experiencing the end of salvation yet. No matter what area it is. Now, I'm believing for all of those areas to come in line within my life and within your life. See? So that's how, if this is written to us and it talks about the end, the end for us would be what we just talked about, those two aspects of the end, the constellations and also the end of our seemingly experiencing contradictory experiences within our life. Now, we also went to verse 15, and this is a big one in the midst of religious people. In verse 15, it talks about the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. What does that mean? I know what it meant to them. It meant the destruction of their holy city. It meant the destruction of their wonderful temple. And remember what Jesus said to the disciples that were showing him, you know, a beautiful edifice that took them, what, 38, 40 years to build? He said, well, I'll tell you right now, you know, that's nothing. Not one stone is going to be left on top of the other. Why? Because he was pointing them to the body not made with hands to the house not made with hands. That was foremost in Jesus' thinking, and that's why he told those disciples what he told them about the beautiful edifice. So this desolation, abomination of desolation standing in the holy place is what? When we leave the right side desolate, that's an abomination. When we will not turn and live from within, when we're constantly living from the five senses, from what we see, hear, taste, touch, seeing of the eye, hearing of the ear, rather than righteous discernment or righteous judgment, which is what? Judging things by spirit from the right side. When we leave that right side desolate, that's an abomination. Yeah. See, that's an abomination. And that is what it's talking about for us today. For them it was different. For us, that's what it is. Now, what I want to unpack today is verses 37 and 38 to begin with. And uh, I want to talk about the coming of the Lord. And look what it says there in verses 37 and 38. Verses 37 and 38. But as the days of Noe, or Noah, it's talking about, as they were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Let me get, get verse 39 too. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. Now one of the things that I left off, and I'm just remembering it now, that I could have kicked myself after the message last week because sometimes I go back and, you know, I'll meditate and think about, you know, how it was brought out and how I ministered. But I was talking briefly about the coming of the Lord, and I, I left off a scripture, if I can find it quickly here. It is in verse 27. Here's an aspect of the coming of the Lord. Look what it says there in verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, how many know the east? Those are the right side, the dawning of the new day. And shineth even to the west, the west is your left side. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I love that. Yes. Because the book of Revelation talks about thundering and lightning and an earthquake. What is the thundering? The trumpeting of the word. What is the lightning? The spirit quickening that. What is the earthquake? It's the shakedown, but it's also the manifestation of that salvation taking place fully and completely within our lives. So now here in verses 37 through 38, it's also talking, let me read it again, verse 37, for as the days of Noah were, so should the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days 
that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So, as I've already stated, his coming, and we dealt with this last week, his coming is not a physical coming. Where he comes over Kennedy Airport dodging 747s, as I said last week. His coming comes not with observation. The kingdom of heaven is not with observation, but the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is within you. Paul said it's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's all within us. And I shared with you the three, at least, there's at least three Greek words for coming or comings. Epiphania, perusia, and apocalypsis. And none of them speak of a little man splitting in the eastern sky, coming back on a white horse, making everything right. He gave us that job. He gave the sons of men the job to make things right by revealing the truth of spirit. So now, this coming, look what it says there, as in the days of Noah. The coming of the Lord is as the days of Noah in the sense, if you're going to look at this in a literal sense, in the sense that none of those people had a clue. Well, they didn't. You know, the first coming of Jesus, the people didn't have a clue. They totally missed that. And the second coming, which you, you won't find second coming anywhere in the scripture, but what it does say is he comes a second time without sin into salvation. So this second coming, uh, people are not going to have a clue either. In fact, he's coming right now and people don't have a clue, you see. And that's what we need to understand here. So just as these people back here had no clue they were eating and drinking and marrying and doing their normal routine of daily life, yeah. and the storm came or the rain came. It came, you see. And it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, which we'll talk about that a little bit later. Now, what I want to do is develop the coming of the Lord a little bit more. So go back to Genesis chapter 6. Let's talk about the coming of the Lord. Because... The majority, folks, the majority of the religious church today is looking for one man. And yes, it is a one man coming, but not in the sky. It's a many-membered Christ, one man, that is showing himself, that is being revealed today. So we need to teach people what his coming really is because they're going to be sadly mistaken and they're going to be sadly uh, upset because they are still waiting. Their hope is a man coming literally on a white horse tooting a golden trumpet. And that is not his coming whatsoever. His coming is in, through, and as us. That is their hope. That is their hope. But scripture says Christ in you, as you, is our hope. Not a man literally coming. Remember when he left the first time, he said, it's expedient for you that I go away. Why did he tell his disciples that? Because they'd have been depending on him all the time rather than realizing that he came to reveal that the same Christ that was in them is who he was, who was standing before them. And so he wouldn't come again literally because, you know what? People would still do the same thing that the disciples and the people of his day tried to do back then. When he said, it, it's more expedient for you that I go away. Otherwise, you're going to always look into me for the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the bread and the this and the that. So the same thing would happen if he split in the eastern sky today, George, and came back. Same thing, people would follow after him. 
And I have heard messages over the years, not recently, but over the years, uh, of them people naming different places that he's literally going to come to. They had built an altar somewhere in California, and then we've got people say, well, he's going to come over to the temple, you know, over in Israel and all of this, and every eye is going to see him, and once a year we're going to make our way to Jerusalem. And Jay Preston Eby, years ago, I never forgot this, he did a, a, a printout about how long it would take you yeah. to have your second 10-minute visit with yeah. Jesus yeah. if he literally came back yeah. and set up in a throne in Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. Bring your chair. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, it makes no good sense whatsoever. Yeah. So let's look at this coming of the Lord. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 6, you know, I know I taught this early on in this series, but I want to revisit this in a little different way. And I want us to see that the building of the Ark of Noah is us building our consciousness. It's building our awareness, heart slash awareness slash consciousness. It's building it up so that when this, a storm comes in our life, we can stand. We make it through. It's like Jesus said, don't build your house upon the sand because when the storm comes, it's going to fall. But if you build your house upon the rock when the storm comes, and everybody has them, when the storm comes, if you're built upon the rock, you're going to stand. Now, I could take that into the pineal gland and that whole nine yards of that because it's also called a stone, the pineal gland. But I'm just going to leave it at that. Now, notice here, Noah and his family were spared. They were saved in spite of every man and his brother telling Noah, you are crazy, you are out of your gourd, what is wrong with you? You have gone off the deep end. What do you mean rain? We don't have a clue what rain even is. They didn't even know what rain was, because at that time, in Genesis, the rain came from the midst of the earth, you see. So they had no clue. No wonder they thought the guy was a crazy old man, you see. But thank God he continued to do what he did. And listen, no matter what people tell us how we are garden of nuts, how we are crazy, how we are new age, how we are off the deep end, no matter how they tell us, let's continue to build the ark of our consciousness. Continue to build the ark of your consciousness. And you'll be glad you did one day. Because no matter what comes, hell or high water, hell and high water, Whatever comes, Helen Highwater, that's a woman's name, Helen Highwater, you know. But anyhow, no matter what comes, no matter what comes, it's not going to buffalo you. I mean, you're going to go through that thing. Now, look what it says in verse 15. And what are we talking about? We are talking tonight about the coming of the Lord. I'm going to show you some aspects of the coming of the Lord that most have no clue of. But look what it says in Genesis 6, verse 15. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. Talking about the ark. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, but the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. So let's do the math again, like we did when we had our mini-conference, and I talked about breaking the celestial code of the ages. We looked at all of these things, or a lot of things that were measured in cubits, and we found out that anything that's measured in cubits, when you do the math and you understand how to get to numerical values of words, then you will begin to see that everything that was measured in cubits will come out to be and represent consciousness, awareness. So look what it says here. It was 300. The length of the arc was 300. Well, what is a cubit? 18 inches. So you multiply 300 by 18 and you get 5,400. You then add 5 plus 4 plus 0 plus 0, and what does it come out to but 9? 
So the ark is denoting consciousness. The breadth of it was 50 cubits. 50 times 18 is 900. 9 plus 0 plus 0 is 9. So there you have consciousness. The height was 30 cubits. 30 times 18 is 540. 5 plus 4 plus 0 is 9. There you have consciousness again. No matter what you multiply that is measured in cubits, you're going to come to the fact that it's going to tally out to be nine, so you know then, right up front, that it designates consciousness and awareness. Now, we went also, when we did our mini-conference, to Revelation 13 and verse 18, and we found out that the number of man was 666. Here is wisdom. Here's the number of man, it says in Revelation 13 and also 14. The number of man is 666. 6 plus 6 plus 6 is 18. 1 plus 8 is 9. And so what does that tell you out to be? Lower consciousness. Lower consciousness. Then we looked at the 144,000 that later become a, a number that is, you know, no one could number. But the 144,000 that begin singing the new song with the Father's name, consciousness in their forehead, 144,000 is what? 1 plus 4 plus 4 is what? Nine. So there you have the 144,000 began with what? A consciousness of the Father, the nature of the Father. Then I've taken you many times to John 21, 6, where Jesus told the disciples, cast your net or cast your energy to the right side. And they caught how many fish? 153, 1 plus 5 plus 3 is 9. So he wasn't talking about them catching fish. It had an allegorical meaning. Okay. Now, it may have been literal then to them. I'm not taking away from that. But the story for us in that is you can get fish or godly wisdom or godly knowledge by casting your energy to the right side, yes. by casting your consciousness to the right side. Now, look what it says in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 6. And I love this, verse 16. Genesis 6, 16. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit. Now, how much is a cubit? 18 inches. Shalt thou finish it above? A cubit is 18 inches, so the window was 1 plus 8, which is 9. So in other words, listen, do you ever uh, wonder why they didn't put windows on the side so they could see the water and see all that was happening outside? He wanted them to have the consciousness that was above, yes. the right side. He wanted them to only not look at appearances. If the windows would have been on the side, they could have viewed the appearances and had an awareness of, oh, this is terrible, oh, we're going to die, and oh, this, oh, that. But he put it in the ceiling, or he put it on the top, which was 18 inches, 1 plus 8 is 9. In other words, their consciousness had to be, as Paul the Apostle said in Philippians, whatsoever things are true, honest, holy, just, of a good report, think on these things, draw your consciousness from the right side of the things that are lovely and of a good report and holy and clean and all that sort of thing. Now, look at verse 20, Genesis chapter 6. Now, let's talk about the animals, because how many know that they brought animals in, first of all, two by two, and then seven by seven? We never hear much about the sevens. We hear about the two. So look what it says in verse 20. Of fowls after their kind, of every creeping thing. That ought to give you an idea right there. Of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee, to keep them alive. Now, what are we talking about here? Well, in verse 20, it talks about bringing them in two by two. What is two the number of? Now, two is the number of witness, yes, but you know what? You can still be a witness of the lower consciousness, yes. you see, <laughs> rather than a witness of the higher consciousness. Yeah. So two speaks of the truth of knowledge of good and evil. 
Two speaks of duality. Two speaks of more than one. Two doesn't designate oneness and focusing on the Christ mind or the single eye. Two is duality. So notice here, they bring in the, the fowls, first of all, the creeping, the fowls and then the creeping things and so forth. So the fowls, as I said, speak of foul thinking. Foul thoughts or foul thinking. And then they brought in the cattle, and the cattle are domestic things. It's the things that you have, the daily grind of your daily life, things you have to do that maybe you don't even want to do. You know? That's why I say many times, people ought to love the job they have, not hate it. See? That would have to do with the duality of going to a job that you just absolutely despise. See? And then notice the creeping things. Those are the little agitating things from the left side that get under your skin. Of course, none of you have that. I know I'm the only one that experiences that. <laughs> but agi you ever had agitating things that just, you know, you just wanted to just really cause your, yeah, your, your skin to, to, to boil or you just, you just didn't like those things. Little creeping, agitating things that just get under your skin. See, that's bringing in by the twos. And it all represents what? Those things that come out of the left side. That we all think, that we all think, and we all go through that. I go through that, you go through that. It's normal. It's normal for us when we experience challenges to be tempted to think from the left side because it's right in front of you. You see it, right? How can you? See, this is why Jesus said, take no thought, and some translations say, take no anxious thought. See? The only thought we want to take when we have those little agitating things is what? Or those things in the appearance room, the only thought we want to take is from the right side. We want to slip into the Christ mind. We want to exercise the single eye. Now, as we go on here in uh, chapter 7, look in chapter 7 and verse 2, now it is talking about the clean beasts, the clean thoughts, the clean consciousness, the clean beast, those good things and lovely things and positive things that Paul talked about in the book of Ephesians. So verse 2 of chapter 7 says, of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens. Now, let me just say this to you because this is something that I really haven't known uh, all this long. I always looked at seven as completeness and perfection and wholeness, and it is that. But it also means, in mystical language, divine intervention. So when you're going through a situation and you flip over, you trick the left side, and you flip over and think out of the right side, what is happening? There's a divine intervention happening where the Christ mind is swallowing up all the thoughts of the left side. See? And that's what that's talking about. By sevens there, seven divine intervention. It's the divine intervention of the right-sided thoughts that swallow up all of the left-sided thoughts that come out of the five-sense realm, come out of the, uh, of the appearance realm. Now, look at verse 10. Verse 10 states, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters were upon the earth. After seven days, the waters were upon the earth. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Now, let me say something about forty. Maybe to them it was... 40 literal days. I'm not taking away from that. However, 
40 in mystical language, whether it's 4, whether it's 40, whether it's 400, whether it's 4,000, speaks of the fourfold aspect of mankind, which is spiritual, physical, intellectual, and emotional. Now, let me add another little caveat to that. Because rain, to them, was literal. Rain, many times in scriptures, spiritual, and you can even find this in the Strong's Concordance, rain means teaching. Uh-oh. Teaching. So this teaching is affecting what? Every aspect, spiritual and physical and intellectual and emotional. It's causing us to realize the importance of taking the moon, which the woman in Revelation chapter 12, the birth of the man child, the moon was under her feet. So it represents, this rain, this teaching, represents us taking anything from the left side that would affect us spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, or any way, and having that under our feet as we draw from the right side. See, when you draw from the right side, what are you doing? You're taking the truth and you are applying it to anything that's going on round about you in your life, in the natural. And you are putting the moon, as that woman did in Revelation 12, under her feet and you are birthing something other than what the left side could birth. See, you're birthing the man-child. You're birthing the christ man. You're birthing the single eye. You're birthing spontaneous or purposeful meditation. So in other words, the, the rain is affecting our fourfold aspect, all fourfold areas of our life, the spiritual, physical, intellectual, and the emotional. It has to. There's no way it can, it cannot affect every aspect of our life when we're slipping into the Christ mind, when we put on that garment of the Christ mind, exercising the single eye. Now, in chapter 8 then, and verse 4, look what it says. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. Now, let me just say this because I remember teaching on Mount Ararat, and we have it in our book, Revelation Revolution, that the only meaning to Ararat, Mount Ararat, is the curse is reversed. But let me just say this, and I'm not, I'm not saying that isn't true, but let me just say it this way. The only place there was a curse was between our ears. That's it. It had nothing to do with our nature. It had nothing to do with the fact that we had a corrupted nature and we needed to get a divine nature or that we had a, a, a sinful nature that we had to you know, accept Jesus as our Savior. Now certainly we accept him, but where do we accept him? In our awareness that it's something that we came here with. So in that sense, we could say the curse of our, our cursed thinking See, Jesus wore the crown of thorns. Why? To identify with our cursed thinking. Not a cursed nature. Right. Not our core uh, constitution that was of an Adamic identity or an Adamic nature. Not that at all. It was all in our awareness. Jesus came. He said himself he came to seek and save that which was lost. And that which was lost was between our ears. It was in our mind that we were alienated and enemies or sinners. Colossians 1, 21. So now this word erat in mystical language, listen, listen to what it means. I love this. Erat means sacred land. Now, land speaks of not just land out here, your body. We're beginning to experience the land flowing with milk and honey as we do, you know, what we've been talking about where the pineal and the pituitary is concerned. So it means sacred land. It means high ground. I won't take the high ground, which is what? The right side. Yeah. It means the higher realms of consciousness. 
And listen, that's where we find rest. If you want to have rest in your body, you've got to find rest in your awareness. Yep. Yep. See? Now, what does it mean to be at unrest in our body? Well, suffering, pain, all kind of issues physically, which Jesus revealed to us are a no thing. Yes, they exist, but they're not real as God calls real. And according to what we're sharing here and teaching here, those things have no power whatsoever, no stinking power whatsoever. They want us to think they do, but they don't rule, we rule. So Mount Ararat is talking about sacred land or rest in my body, and I'm not going to have rest in my body until I have rest in my consciousness, until consistently I'm thinking out of the Christ mind, exercising the single eye, involving myself in purposeful and spontaneous meditation. See, I want to have rest in my body. And we all still have stuff in our bodies. There is still stuff in every, mine included, everyone's body that should not be there. You know why? We are Christ trying to act like someone else. Hello? We, we don't know that for the most part, but we still, in our religiosity, are still trying to act like someone other than we truly are. Now, let me get off of that, because that makes someone mad pretty quick. Now, <laughs> chapter 8, look at chapter 8 now in verse 7. Look what Noah does. He's coming to the end of this thing. He sends out a raven. Now, a raven is a negative thought. It speaks of negative thoughts, like, oh, gee, I don't know that God told me to build this ark. Oh, I don't think we're going to live. Oh, I think we're all going to die. Did I really hear from God? And you know what? I believe today that the reason that we have a lot of the storms and catastrophes that we have in our earth today is because of the corporate yep. negative vibrational pull of people. Amen. I really do. I believe that. And that was something way back that Einstein came up with. And Buddha, absolutely. He went under the, sat under the Bodhi tree for 13 years, left his family. Why? Because he got tired of seeing all the suffering upon the earth. And he also came to that conclusion. It was the negative vibrational pull of people. Now, look what happens then in verse 8. Chapter 8, verse 8. He sends out a dove here. So what is he doing? He's now sending out positive vibrations of peace. Rather, rather than sending out the raven, which is the negative, oh, we're not going to make it. Oh, I don't know if I heard from God. We're all going to die. So now he sends out the dove or the peaceful thoughts. He finally got the memo. He finally got the memo. He finally got the message that he needed to send out the dove or the positive vibrational thoughts on a consistent basis. See, that's when we're going to have fruit that remains, when we, when we live out of the right side or from within on a consistent basis. Now, none of us do yet, so I'm not putting anyone down. None of us do that yet on a consistent basis. But you know what? This is getting easier and easier and easier and easier to just trick the left side when something's going on around about you and come over here like Jacob did and trick the left side and just begin to live from the inside out. So now, in verse 11, it states that the dove went back to the ark with an olive branch. In other words, truth, the truth restored peace to Noah's awareness. 
And the dove, as we know, is symbolic of Holy Spirit, which quickens the truth within us. Why? So that we can experience this, not just know about it. I'm tired of just knowing these wonderful revelations. Yeah. I want to experience yes. them. I yes. want to walk in them, yes. you see. And the, our spirit reveals them so we can connect with them and really walk them out or, or walk in them. Yes. Now, chapter 9. Hey, I'm almost done. Chapter 9, chapter 9 and verse 21 Noah now is celebrating. He's celebrating. He celebrates being God's chosen person to build the ark and to have his loved ones and his family all saved in the ark. He's beginning to realize, hey, I really did hear from God. I really did hear. I really did do the right thing. But he celebrates by drinking wine and getting drunk and then getting naked. And we know that his son Ham came up and said, Hey, Pops, what's going on with you? Because he saw him naked. And in verse 21, it says that he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered in his tent. And then we know his other two sons brought a sheet, and they walked backwards as to not see his nakedness, and they covered him up. Ham got in a little trouble for doing what he did. You see. So this is what the other two guys did. Now, what we need to do is not stop with the fact that he's celebrating, he gets drunk, and he gets naked, right. drinks the new wine, Hello. or the wine, and, and gets spitting drunk, inebriated. There is a spiritual, mystical, yes. allegorical, symbolic meaning to this. Yeah, maybe. The guy gets intoxicated. That's what we need to do on the new wine, Get just get skunk drunk on the new wine to the point to where we are oblivious to everything around about us on the outside. That's what we need to do. Are you guys in? Y'all want to get drunk? So let's drink of the new wine to the extent that we get so drunk that we pay no attention to what's going on in the appearance room out here. And listen, and let's get a little naked as well. Now, let me say something about that, because listen, drunk, drunk and naked means I am inhibited and intoxicated on the spiritual wine, and I'm no longer judging by the five senses, or I am oblivious to the things that are happening round about me. I have completely uncovered myself to God by taking off all of my left-sided thoughts, and now I'm in my birthday suit of my origin... Hello. <laughs> so that's what we need to do. Listen, now let me stop and say this. That, my friends, is the coming of the Lord. Woo! How did you hear that? I'm going to Drinking the new wine, getting so intoxicated that we're oblivious to the five cents realm, uncovering ourselves to the Father. Uncovering ourselves from what? Because listen, this over here on the left side, you slip into that mindset just as well as you slip into the mind of Christ on the right side. And so here we have Noah celebrating, totally inebriated, totally skunk drunk, totally oblivious to what's going on around about him, uncovering himself from the left side and just celebrating in the birthday suit of his origin. That's right. Remember, don't see me naked. Listen, that, that is the coming of the Lord. Getting drunk, being intoxicated, oblivious to the appearance realm, 
and celebrating our nakedness and the origin in our birthday suit. <laughs> it's all right, Helen, it's all right. <laughs> take a breath, take a breath. <laughs> now, go back, to Math go back to Matthew 24 as I close. Back to Matthew 24. Go back to <laughs> See, listen, you put clothes on on the left side just as well as you put clothes on on the right side. Oh, yeah. Because you're slipping into the, what is put on the mind of Christ to slip in like you slip into a garment. Oh, so to slip into the left side is the same way like slipping into a garment of the appearance realm around about you. It's a garment. It's described spiritually as a garment. Now, Matthew 24, 38. Let's finish this up now. Matthew 24, 38. For as of the days... Before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. In other words, there were people that didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue. Just like today, yep. there are people yep. that don't have a clue as to the coming of the Lord or the coming of the Son of Man. They don't have a clue that the coming of the Lord... They don't have a clue that experiencing the kingdom of heaven is like becoming a little child, exercising the single eye, taking no thought, involving in spontaneous and purposeful meditation. Wow. They have no clue that that right there, my friends, is the coming of the Lord or the coming of the Son of Man. It involves all of those things that we have been teaching in this series on mind-brain connections. That's the coming of the Lord. That's the coming of the Son of Man. Now, one more thing, and I'm going to close. Look in verses 40 and 41, 40 and 41 in Matthew 24. And this was amazing. And, uh, you know, I didn't see this. I was going through some of this at Panera Bread the other day, and I had this little New Testament in my Bible or in my uh, glove compartment in my car. I thought, I'm just going to grab that and take that in and look at some of these scriptures. And I did not notice something that's very pertinent to what I'm going to say. There were two words that were italicized that were not italicized. In fact, let me just look. I don't even think they're italicized here in my Bible. Uh, chapter uh, 24, verses 40. No. The one shall be taken, the other left. Okay. Yes, it is. It is Women is italicized. Okay. Women is italicized here. I didn't realize that. Okay. So let me read that in verses uh, 40 and 41 of uh, Matthew 24, then two men shall be in the field, one will be taken. See, now it doesn't say that in my Bible. Men is not even here in verse 40, but then women is in verse 41. But in some Bibles, it says two men in the field, two women grinding at the mill, see? So I want to teach it both ways, as though it says two men in the field, and two women grinding at the meal. So let me read it. Then two men or two will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women, verse 41, will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Now, let me, let, me say, let me say it this way. This is the coming of the Lord. He's talking about the coming of the Lord. So let's say men is there and women are there in the original. What would the two men in a field, one is taken, the other left, what would that be referring to? I believe it would be referring to the fact that there has only ever been one man. There's never been two Christs. 
You see, if men is there, it's not. But if men was there in verse 40, then my interpretation of that would be the thoughts that there has ever been two men. So the one has to be taken away. The thought that there were two men, the thought that you came here with an Adamic identity, the, th the, the thought that you came here as Adam with an Adamic identity and a sinful nature. Wow. See, that's the way I'd interpret that if the word men was really there. But since it's not there, what is it talking about? Duality. Duality. Any type of duality over anything. Okay, because listen, here's what the field means. The field means the world, so you no longer have a consciousness of a worldly, dual consciousness. That's the way I'd interpret that if men was, was there. Okay, you no longer have a duality, you see. But it doesn't say men there. It just says there were two, one taken. But the fact that they were in the field, which is the, the field is the world throughout Scripture, so what is it talking about? It's talking about the worldly consciousness or the dual consciousness taken from us. Wow. See, If men was there, I would, I would interpret that as two men, or in other words, we, we were taught. I was taught. I don't know about you. I was taught that we were two people, yep. Yep. that we were Adam and Christ at the same time. Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Now, when it talks about the women, let me, let me read this again in uh, verse 41. Two women. Now, women's not there, but I'm going to teach it as, as women is there. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Now, if, if women, listen, if we're going to interpret it as women not being there, then how would I interpret that? What is grinding at the mill but work? Yeah. See? So if women is not there and it just says two, you know, grinding at the mill, one taking the other left, it would be what? Works taken away from us. See? Works, no longer a works consciousness. Now, if women would really be there, then let me say it this way. If, if the word women would really be there, let me ask you, have you ever seen a woman that had two wombs? I'm, I'm not saying that some women, you know, haven't been born with two wombs. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen. But what am I saying there? There's, you don't have two awarenesses or two minds, two wombs. See? So what it would be, what would it be? Two women grinding at the mill would be what? And one is taken. If you leave woman there, it would be like saying, okay, one woman, in other words, thinking that you have two awarenesses or two wombs to sow the seed in, one is taken, the other left. And you don't. There's only one mind. There's only one womb. Peter talked about the womb, our mind being as a womb. You see? So if woman was really there, that's the way I would look at that. But since woman is not there, what I'm looking at is simply two grinding at the mill, one taking the other left would be what? The mill would be, grinding the mill would be works. We're really grinding the salvation out. Yeah. Working hard, you yeah. know, to get it, yeah. you see. So, so that's the way I look at that. And, and like I said, I'm so glad I grabbed that little, I may have eventually noticed it here, but I'm glad I grabbed that little testament and took it in because I, I don't know that I've noticed that before. But it makes a big difference there. So, so what am I saying? I'm saying 
That is the coming of the Lord. <laughs> Sweet and simple. That's what, everything I've talked to you about tonight is the coming of the Lord. So why do we look for him to split an eastern sky and come back on a, a white horse? Because someone told us that. As, as Gary Garner used to say, we've had to have help, a lot of help to misunderstand this. <laughs> and we've had a lot of religious help to misunderstand this. So what am I saying? I'm just saying, let's get drunk. Let's get oblivious, oblivious to the five cents realm. And let's get unclothed and quit slipping in to the garment of the left side. And let's celebrate in our birthday seat, suit our origin. Let's celebrate in our birthday suit our origin. And what am I talking about, the birthday suit? Just simply being naked to that which would scream at us and tell us you're not, you're this, you're that. Don't listen to the fact that you didn't come here with a sinful nature and an idemic eye. Don't listen to any of that garbage. We did. Now, this coming week on Thursday, I'm going to appear on Dr. Bill Hanshaw's show again. For those of you that want to watch, it'll be 7 o'clock our time. And uh, what I'm going to teach, and I may bring it here, I'm going to teach what I taught you on original sin versus original blessing. Our eternal identity. How many know we came here with an eternal salvation, an eternal identity, and an eternal redemption? We came here with that. We came here with it. That's why salvation is simply a discovery of what has always been true about us. And so that's what I'm going to teach on, on this show on Thursday for those of you who want to watch. But then, Lord willing, I'll see how this flows. Lord willing, I want to come back then next week and... I said, Lord willing, so not 100% sure, and teach original sin versus original blessing in connection with the mind-brain. And we're going to look at some things that you already know concerning that, but I want to connect it with mind-brain. Because I believe we could take probably everything we have taught and make the connection with mind-brain connections. Because you're either thinking out of the left side or out of the right side. There ain't nothing else. And so that's the coming of the Lord. So, Father, we thank you for your word, our spirit that is quickening, making these truths so real within us that we can't help but walk in them and experience them. Thank you for who you are as us. You are health as us. You are wealth as us. You are all things as us. Thank you for these truths that are being revealed. Thank you for those that are beginning to awaken to who they have always been. Thank you for this body. We are your body, bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. We've never been separate from you. We've never been alienated from you. We've never been a sinner. We've always been who we've always been. We bless you. We honor you in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.